Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week, we're reposting sermons from last week's Bible Conference in Prescott, Arizona. Each day this week, you'll enjoy sermons that were preached in the evening services, plus one morning seminar for our Saturday episode. Even our free subscribers will get a full week of ad-supported episodes. But if you'd like to support world evangelism with early released episodes and an ad-free listening experience, then use the links in the show notes to subscribe today. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's sermon. And burnt it to the ground. The owner of the new bar tavern decided he wants to sue the church, claiming the prayers of the congregation were responsible. But the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. The presiding judge, after the initial review of the case, stated, no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer and the works of God, and the Christians do not. (laughs) Looking this morning, we're going to have to make a judgment this morning. Who's at work? Who's responsible? And what do we believe this morning. I want to explore the idea of a work of God. We find this in Acts 5 verse 34. I want to have a look at that this morning. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census, drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. I want to explore the idea of a work of God. And firstly, let's consider Uh, on this morning, the rationale in whose hand? The rationale in whose hand? We're laying the context a little bit of uh, Acts chapter 5, and we see in our text there's two different worldviews that are found in our overall text. The the apostles have been brought before the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. There's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It says in verse 17 of Acts 5, Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which was of the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. So here's the Sadducees. Bible says then in verse 34 of our text, then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people. So we know it's true, many times in Scripture, these two groups are clumped together. We read of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we group them together. Jesus even grouped them together. 
says in Matthew 16, verse 9, Jesus said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He groups them together. We see in Matthew 16, verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So here's Jesus. He's warning both groups have doctrine, have teaching that is incorrect, not right, and dangerous. So he's telling his disciples, uh, beware of them. But what we want to consider for a moment, there was some fundamental differences in these two groups. And we find in Acts chapter 5, we understand that the Pharisees from Scripture are ones who believe in the angels, the spiritual world, the afterlife. They believe in eternity. We see in Acts 23 verse 8, for the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. It's interesting how, as the book of Acts plays out, we see the Pharisees, a number of them, get saved, get born again. We see it in Acts 15 verse 5. And some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. This was at the Jerusalem Council. Former Pharisees are now a part of the church. They're believers. We don't so much read Sadducees, but we do read of the Pharisees. We understand through that that Some people, through the lens of their belief structure, it's more easier for them to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. We understand that. That they're open, maybe their background, their their religion that they brought up with perhaps, or their, their, their national thought helps them in some degree. Years ago, I remember when we were debating about a new nation to start a church, when Pastor Tom Payne was in Australia and I was there on staff with him. We were considering the nation, a new nation called uh, East Timor. And uh, the, the capital's Dili. And so part of the thinking was this group, this island's going to be open. Why? Because it's a former Catholic colony. Former Catholic people. How I many Catholics are open to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, just like the Pharisees here, they believe in the supernatural, they believe in eternity, they believe in a number of these dimensions, amen, and so we understand that. They believe in healing. Even their saints, you have to perform miracles to be a saint in their belief structure. So we see that there's an, there's an openness to receive. And so when we're debating that, plus a new nation that was looking to Australia for direction at that stage as they were emerging as an independent, it was an opportunity. You know, today we have a large church that is planning churches throughout the rest of East Timor today. Because we understand that principle. In our text, we see a Pharisee, Gamaliel. They called him Gamaliel the Elder. Let's read it to you. The Bible says, there stood one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law who had reputation amongst all the people and commanded the apostles uh, forth a little space. Who is this man? We write about, we read about him in text in the scripture a couple of times, but there's other writings about this man as well, that he's a leading authority in the Sanhedrin in the first century, that he was the son of Simeon, the grandson of Hillel, the elder, 
Gil the commentator says that his father was Simeon and uh, who was the president of the Sanhedrin for 40 years. Barnes uh, quotes uh, Lightfoot and said uh, that this man was the teacher of Paul in Acts 22 verse 3, that he was the son of Simeon who the saviour was taken into his arms in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, a man who was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Holy Spirit was upon him, that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before the Lord's, seeing the Lord's Christ. So we don't know, that's not in the biblical record, but Barnes, Gill, number of commentators, Lightfoot, they believe from tradition, understanding, that's who he was. So his father... Amen. Was perhaps this man that when Christ was dedicated, he came into the temple and took him into his arms and the Lord had shown, you're not going to die until you see the Christ. That's the man's father. His grandfather, Hillel, if you know, from the school of Hillel, was one of the major teachers uh, and, uh, in Jewish uh, history at that stage. A very influential person. No doubt his family, their thinking, their influence... The, the basic doctrine that he had been brought up with as a Pharisee, understanding there is a re resurrection from the dead, there is a supernatural, so there's a possibility that this person, Jesus Christ, did rise from the dead. You know, you see this play out in Scripture, Acts 23, verse 6. And when Paul perceived uh, that one part of them were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. He talks about how he was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. And the Bible says as he knew that there were Sadducees and Pharisees there, and uh, when they uh, arose, a loud outcry in verse 9, the scribes of the Pharisee party rose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. That's good revelation there. So we see how this plays out. So then let's consider... Gamaliel again, he makes a statement about this early church, about the disciples, about the Sanhedrin are wanting to kill these men, persecute them severely. The Sadducees are infuriated, indignant, the Bible says, and this man stands up in the midst of all this. Verse 38, he says, Now I say to you, keep away from these men, leave them alone, for if this plan or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it. You need to underline that in your Bible. You cannot overthrow it. That is a powerful revelation, lest you even be found to fight against God. The Amplified Bible says, for if this doctrinal purpose or undertaking or movement is of human origins, it will fail, be overthrown and come to nothing. If you have a look at the pretext of Acts chapter 5, we understand that there's revival breaking out in the church. Verse 14, increasingly the Lord adds to the church both multitudes of men and women. So they even brought the sick into the street uh, that lest the shadow of Peter pass by might fall upon them. 
this revival breaking out in Jerusalem and the religious Sanhedrin and especially the Sadducees are upset about this. And here is they're brought into the council and there's people that want to not only imprison them, amen, but martyr them. And Gamaliel speaks some words of wisdom and insight. He says there's two possibilities. There's two possibilities. Either this is a work of man or it's a work of God. See, his rationale then says, we need to leave them alone. Verse 33, when they, because the Bible says in the pretext, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. So he's basically saying, you're plotting, your murderous uh, intent, your violent persecution is not right by any metric. You need to rethink your planned action. You are possibly about to make the biggest mistake of your life. You need to carefully consider. You don't want to go down in history as the one who opposes and fights against God. How many know none of us want that written of our life? One who opposed and fought against God. He's bringing that revelation here. As we consider this first point, whose hands at work? This early church, these disciples, this following. Is it the hand of God or is it the hand of man? When I then consider, secondly, the revelation, who's responsible? No doubt, it can be very hard to discern in the beginning of a thing. Is it of God or is it of man? In the early days, you haven't faced the test of time, the test of persecution, even the test of lasting fruit. You've not had to face any of that. In the early days, you haven't faced those things. So people are trying to discern, is it a work of God or is it a work of man? The Potter's House started in 1981 in my city where I was living in Geraldton, Western Australia, which is just, it was the second church. We had the Perth Church and the Geraldton Church. Started in 1981. And I want to tell you, young people just flooded into that. They started with a concert. Over 200 visitors, young people. 26 saved. Of those people saved, one of them was my wife. Amen. Uh, she wasn't my wife then, but as a young lady, she got saved. And I believe six of those people that were saved at that first concert went into ministry, preaching ministry. Pastor, pastor's wife. And in the early days, uh, everybody in the religious uh, uh, world in that uh, uh, time, and uh, no doubt even all our families, my father said to me, son, never go to that church. It's that church, remember that? Never go to that church. Have nothing to do with it. But all we knew is that we were lost and now we're found. All we knew that we were blind and now we see. That we were spiritually dead, now we're alive. That's all we knew. In the early days, it's hard to discern and people that are looking around and wondering about that. It's interesting, the interest that we have now in the Jesus revolution and that people now are looking back and saying, well, it's obviously a work of God, but people that were living at that moment were wondering. It wasn't as easy to discern because you hadn't had the test of time. 
Here is our man Gamaliel. He gives an illustrated message here. He's no doubt a very intelligent teacher, student of the Word of God. People that write about this believe that Paul had much of his understanding of the Old Testament from this man when he was tutored under him. He understood the revelation, the sacrifice, the atonement. So much of that came from this man. A student of history himself, he gives a rationale. Verse 36, he says, Some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all those that obeyed him were scattered, and it came to nothing. After this man... Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census, drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. So he's reaching back into their history, or recent history, not even biblical history. He said there were two leaders, there were two movements. Thutis, as you do a bit of research, it seems like he was a religious leader. He told his followers he was a prophet that he could divide the Jordan River himself, that he was possibly the Messiah, that he was something great. Then Judas of Galilee was more on the political spectrum. Barnes Notes said he was a zealot and he wanted to revolt against the taxation of the Romans and their slavery. And he believed that and he led that movement. So both these men had short-term followings. But in time, they pass from the scene and the Bible says their followers and Gamaliel says their followers were scattered and their movement came to nothing. Their movement came to nothing. It did not survive. What he's saying, that's a work of man. That's a work of man. It didn't last. It didn't survive. It came to nothing. So then we see... Uh, the other flip side of it is the other possibility, it's a work of God. Now, the revelation that he brings here, as Gamaliel's laying this out for us, he lists these two men. No doubt they were charismatic leaders. No doubt they had personality. No doubt they had a following this way. You could say a personality cult built a lot on charisma, gifting of a certain person. Gamaliel, knowing these people and their leadership, is comparing their, their following and Jesus' following. Very different. One, uh, you know, uh, obviously religious, one political, but they were a personality cult and it didn't last. Secondly, the revelation is that the movement didn't die out with the passing of the leader or the founder. Many of us that have been around for a while remember former rebellious members that used to say, you know what, when Pastor Mitchell dies, it's all going to fall apart. So much so that Pastor Mitchell wrote a sermon <laughs> entitled, When Pastor Mitchell Dies. <laughs> remember that? What he's saying is, we're going to continue on. We're going to continue to evangelize discipleship uh, and church plant. If it's a work of man, if the leader 
passes on, it declines and dies. Amen. With the passing of that leader, just like Thutis, they scattered and came to nothing. As I look around this morning, I don't see that. And many of us that have looked uh, since our beloved Pastor Mitchell has moved on and Pastor Greg has taken over the leadership, if anything, we've stepped up our pace. We're growing. We're expanding on every side. Thirdly, a work of man really doesn't have the power to change your life for the best. Some movements can change people's lives, but can you change your life for the best? Can you really change somebody for the best? We think of a disciple under Gamaliel, Saul of Tarsus. He actually writes in or speaks in Acts 22 verse 3, For I indeed, a Jew born in Tarsus, brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are today. But I want to tell you, this man, Saul of Tarsus, we know he's riding on his way to Damascus, the Damascus Road experience, uh, and meeting with the risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. His life was so radically changed. A work of man can't do that. So radically changed from darkness to light, from persecutor to preacher. From hater of Christ to lover of Christ. That's a miracle. A work of man can't produce that. That's a work of God. One of our pastors recently in Australia, Pastor Tony Huang, the media wanted to do a TV story on him, a documentary on his life. They entitled it, Tony, uh, I mean, the gangster pastor. They did a news article as well. Tony was a gang member and drug dealer. Now he picks up the broken pieces of humanity. It's a great story. They talked to his family. Tony's changed. He was addicted to drugs. We thought he was going to die of an overdose. We had no hope for him. Nothing could change him. His own family are on the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the program. It's a miracle, they're saying. The arresting police officer that arrested him one of the times comes on, says it's a miracle. Tony's now doing uh, some speaking in prisons, uh, amen, with that police officer that arrested him. Partnering together. Amazed at the change of life. And it's an incredible story, an article going on about his life. See, that's not a work of man. That's a work of God. But it's interesting. Knowing the media, they had to throw in some negative. One of the, one of the little parts in the article was, Tony's found faith in a controversial church. Did you know that? You are controversial. They... They wheeled out Rick Ross. I haven't heard of him for years. They wanted to interview him. Oh, yes, dangerous place. Controversial church. And it's funny, they had to put this little bit in, because, you know, the media are the media, aren't they? They had to put this little bit in. But 
it made no sense. It made no sense in the story because how can something so good come out of something bad? That makes no sense. Even secular people look at that and say, that's just media. I won't even use the word, amen. I don't know if it's acceptable here. How can something so good come out of something that you're saying is so bad? That makes no sense. See, a work of God has the power to change a life. Who's responsible? Is it God or is it man? Let's have a look then finally, the reward and who is reaping. In Matthew 16, verse 18, a great text for all of us this morning. I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We declare at this conference that Jesus Christ is still building his church. He was in Acts chapter 5. He still is today. It's his church. It's the work of his hands. But how does that knowledge, if we've made a decision, have you made a decision? What you're a part of this morning, is it a work of man? Somebody's, well, you know, it's just all psychological manipulation. You're just hyping people up with that music. That drum beat's getting people going. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> if, if, if you've decided, is it a work of God or is it a work of man? If it's a work of God, which I would say most of us would say, can you say amen? How does that knowledge, how does that confidence then make a difference for us? How does it make a practical difference if you said, now, I believe that I got saved or got brought into a work of God. How does that make a difference? I'd say, number one, it makes a difference. It brings us comfort this morning. See, no one of us, no one person or no one group of people have the necessary skills and ability to meet every need, problem and challenge. In your church, pastor, I want to say it's beyond you. It's beyond me. Even the greatest, ta most talented of us all, if it's all up to us, we're in trouble. Pastor Greg's lighting fires with gasoline. <laughs> I burnt down blocks, amen, don't worry. In my youth, here, if it's all up to us, we're in trouble, but it brings comfort because it's not. If you believe it's a work of God, God's at work. Number two, you can rest. God's people and God's leaders can find rest in the knowledge that even while you're sleeping or away at conference, God's still at work. You know, the Bible says, Psalm 121 verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's looking after his people. Isn't the most incredible thing, Pastor, if you've seen if you've come to Prescott, you come to your conference uh, to hear the good news that God's brought visitors and brought souls while you've been away? God's building the church when you're not there. Sometimes you say, well, it's better if I stay away. <laughs> but it brings rest. God's at work. God's at work. And finally, this confidence that something beyond us is holding it all together. Psalm 127 verse 1, lest the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor 
uh, in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. We understand uh, our confidence is uh, that God Almighty is holding things together. Yes, we do our part. I love what Paul said. Amen. When he said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I was one who persecuted the church, but I am what I am. The grace of God upon me, yet I labored more abundantly than, than them all. Sure, we need to do our part. You don't uh, be uh, lazy or inactive, but the confidence is something beyond ourselves is holding it together. You know, from my personal experience, I received a phone call um, in 2013 to uh, go to the uh, city of Melbourne to take over uh, the church there. The last pastor had resigned, and in many ways, it was, it was a difficult, challenging takeover. In some of the books that I read about uh, takeover and um, churches that are not easy to take over is where the former pastor has had some immorality because it breaks the trust with the congregation. The congregation finds it hard to trust the new pastor. Number two is if the former pastor is a charismatic leader and he's led a lot on his charisma. And so they're challenging situations. And I, when I went to Melbourne, it was both those situations at work. And I was asking the question, can the church survive? Can we save the church? Can the church survive? See, I learned a lesson here. I want to tell you, the Melbourne Footscray Church, no doubt like this church, like your church, it's a work of God. It's a work of God. And I learned that God's at work. You know, we have some powerful men and women that were rocky through that time, but decided to stay because it was God. They're now pastors, pastors' wives that are impacting their world for Jesus Christ. It's a work of God. Do you believe this morning, as we bring it to close, that God's at work? Do you believe that he's at work in your life, in your ministry? Do you believe he's at work in your church? Do you believe that he still builds his church? Do you believe that you're a part of a work of God? See, there's a choice finally that needs to be made. Who's responsible, God or man? As Gamaliel presents that choice to his generation, no doubt God used him at that pivotal moment, Acts chapter 5. He stood up for reason. and says, you need to be careful what you do with these men. Because if it's a work of man, it'll come to nothing. We don't have to worry. But if it's a work of God, you may find yourself fighting against God. And you're not going to win. That's still relevant today. Verse 35. Men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding this man. What you believe concerning this question can change your thoughts, your actions towards your church, your ministry, and I dare say your fellowship that God has put you in. If you believe it's a work of God, because God fights for his church, God defends his church, God loves his church. I had Pastor Paul Stevens preach in late May in our church in Perth, was sitting on the platform and he leaned across during the song service 
And he said, Daryl, this is a miracle of God, what he's done and is doing in this church. Despite the setbacks, sometimes in the past poor leadership, opposition and rebellion. And he said, this is a work of God. Many of us remember and recite that constant statement by Pastor Wayman Mitchell. This is a work of God, not a work of man. And I thought when he would make that comment, knowing Pastor Wayman, he's giving God the glory, isn't he? He's giving God the glory for the, what God's done in the church and no doubt the fellowship of churches. Think of it. Over 3,400 churches today. 139 nations, I believe. And as a humble servant of the Lord, he's giving God glory. But it's more than that. It's more than a humble servant of the Lord giving God's glory. He's saying something deeper to us. This is a work of God. So as we bring this to a final conclusion, what do we do with that this morning? Number one, can I say, if you believe it's a work of God, if you're looking on now and saying, well, God's at work, can I say, number one, why don't you get involved? Find out, see what God's doing, get involved. If it's a work of God, now is a good time to jump in, to put up your hand, to say, I'm gonna get involved. I want to serve. I'll be a disciple. I'll go out. What a good time it is. Number one, get involved. Number two, gives faith. Faith that it's not all up to you and I. When you're out there battling in your own city, in your own nation somewhere, and you're struggling with things that you feel could totally overwhelm you and the church, it gives you faith that God is wanting to help. And finally, what do we do? We pray. What I want to do in these few moments is I'm bringing it to a close. For those that are no doubt, there's numbers that are on live stream as well that are watching all over the world. There's pastors, evangelists, churches here, and you're going through times maybe right now, of persecution, reversals, perhaps even rebellions. And you're asking yourself, can we survive this? Are we going to see this through? And I want to pray for you because I believe this morning you want to go with confidence that this is a work of God I'm a part of a work of God and I believe for the supernatural hand of God to be at work. Just right now, if you're in ministry, you're a pastor, evangelist, you're in your church and you're facing one of those times where you're wondering, how are we going to get through this? How's this ever going to work? Are we going to survive this time? I want to pray for you right now. I want you to stand right now. Pastors, pastors, wives, evangelists, people that you want to pray. I want to pray for those on live stream as well. I know there's numbers of people that couldn't be with us, but I want to pray, amen, because I feel God when I was praying this morning and yesterday that God is going to do something supernatural. He's going to give you a faith. He's going to give you a confidence. 
He's going to deliver. He's going to move, amen, on the, the, the pieces on the spiritual chessboard and God is going to let you know, I'm at work, I'm building my church and you're a part of a work of God. Amen, I want to pray. Lift your hand. Father, I'm asking right now for all these pastors, God, all these churches represented, God, those that are going through rebellions at this time, persecutions, God, reversals, and are wondering how they're going to overcome. God, I pray, speak a word into their spirit. Speak a word into their situation. A deliverance by the Holy Ghost. I speak that in Jesus' name. God, I pray, set them free. Let them know that you're at work, Lord. Let them know the hand of God will lift them up. Give God praise and worship. He's setting some people free and helping on live stream. God, bring answers to people right now. Lord, I pray, let pastors, pastors, wives, evangelists, and churches know they're a part of a work of God. Oh, You know, Pastor Folly and I was looking around. I saw you. The strong hand of God, uh, amen, says the Lord is with you. For surely my hand shall undergird you and strengthen you and your wife and your ministry, says the Lord. I shall strongly come upon you this week, says God. I shall help you in a supernatural way. Know that you are a part of my plan and my work, says the Lord. I rebuke the enemy, uh, amen, for my own sake, says the Lord, and I lift you up with my strong hand, says the Lord God. Hallelujah. Let, let that be so in pastor. Bless Pastor Foley and his wife and ministry. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. That's all I have. God bless you. Amen. Let's have Pastor Martinez. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.